You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to crossroadslive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. Okay, so now that you have your Bibles open to Luke 10, verse 17, I'll be reading starting now. So the return of the 72. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus rejoices in the Father's will. Verse 21. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that you see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, your name being left off a list, um, but you probably remember it if you have. I remember a distinct moment that I often think back to now, because I think it changed the trajectory of my life, uh, was in eighth grade uh, when I was looking on the wall of our PE class, trying to find my name among the eighth grade basketball team, only to find my name was not there, uh, which led me to question my very existence, because up until that moment, I thought I was probably going to go pro. Um, and, and it was devastating. But the kicker for me was as I looked on the list, uh, and Monty Kawahara made the team. Now, that means nothing to you. Pretty devastating for me because if, if I was comparing myself to middle school Andrew now, and let's just pretend I was this height, which I was not, but Monty Kawahara would have been down here, okay? Like no exaggeration, no lie. My whole life I grew up with this kid and he was down and he made the team over me, which made me feel that my skills were so strong that they took the shortest kid over me in a moment of pain. But we, we've all had something where we've been left off where there was something we desired and we, we didn't measure up, we didn't make it. It seemed like everyone was invited somewhere that you weren't. Team was selected, your name's nowhere to be found. There was a job that you, you thought was yours and it came down to you and a few candidates and they decided that they would not be moving forward with you in the process. It was a, a relationship that you thought was the one only to be told uh, by that significant someone that actually they had someone else. 
Again, in my own life, I can list off a number of moments of pain, of being passed over, feeling unloved, unseen, unstable, insecure. And there's so many ways in our lives that we are continually trying to make that list. Whatever that is defined by you in this moment of if I just get here, then I know everything will be okay. And to achieve that, often our, our mode of operation is simply just to work harder, to work smarter, to chase looks, to chase happiness, to chase success, to chase sex, to chase nothing, and pretend that we're unfazed by anything because it's easier to mask the overwhelming feeling of failure that we have and pretend like we don't care. And I know that all sounds dramatic. And yet these are the lengths that we go to on a regular basis. Looking around, we can believe that everyone has figured everything out and we are the only ones who are trailing behind. And that is why we never make that list, whatever that is that we're trying to attain. That list of those who have it all together, those who are successful, those who have more than you have, those who are annoyingly happy with less than you have, those who already have their Christmas shopping done, and it's not even December, right? Those who have this joy that seems unshakable, and then... And then you hear stories of those who somehow have made their list. They arrived, but upon arrival, they realize that the thing that they thought would complete them is not enough. And so now a new chase begins. But what if the very thing that was holding us back was the very thing we need to let go of? Whatever that list is for you, just imagine if you had nothing to lose, what if true rest was possible where you, you're seen and you are secure, not just by the sum of your accomplishments or how much you have it together, but you are known and you are loved? What if you had a real reason to rejoice always? Last week, we saw Jesus send out the 72 disciples and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom, that Jesus' kingdom was coming, that he was bringing with it uh, light and life. And they were to travel light, not bring a lot of things with them. They were to have a singular focus on making the good news of Jesus and his kingdom known. And now, the passage that we turn to this morning speaks of the return of these 72 that were sent out. And now we get to hear of what all they did and what they experienced. And the 72, they come back after uh, experiencing incredible things. But Jesus, in the midst of their excitement and in their joy, he reminds them that the most incredible thing is that their names are written in heaven. That God in his kindness has revealed himself through his son and we must never forget the wonder of the gospel and what it means for us as individuals and as a community. So turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. If you've got your Bible out, uh, follow along. If you've got your app open, swipe there where you need to. If you don't have a Bible, just by way of reminder, we've got Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible and you need one and you'd like to take that one with you, please do. That would be a gift from us. We would love for you to have a Bible in your hands. So beginning in verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So the 72 return, and what are they returning with? We're told that they return with joy. 
and overwhelming exuberance. And joy is going to play a significant role in this section. We will see that even Jesus rejoices at one point. He points us to what we should be rejoicing and finding joy within. So we want to pay attention when a word starts popping up in a passage over and over again. We want to circle that and pay attention to what is happening and what Luke is trying to tell us. And what is the source of their joy? They return with joy. What's the source of their joy? Where they tell us. They they return with joy saying, Lord, Jesus Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And what does this mean, that the demons are subject to them? It means that the demons are coming under the authority of the disciples that were sent out. Remember, Jesus gave them authority. Now they're using and exercising the authority that he has given them to cast out demons. The darkness is literally being pushed back. The kingdom of God is on the offense. It's not in a defensive posture, backing up. No, it's moving forward. Jesus and his kingdom is coming. Now, if we look back at Luke 4, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And what did he experience when he went out into the wilderness? Led by the Spirit, he was confronted by Satan. The adversary, the accuser, the serpent, the dragon, he has many, many names. In each confrontation, Jesus did what the first human, Adam, did not. See, when Adam was confronted by the serpent, Adam came under the influence of the enemy. When Jesus was confronted by the enemy, Jesus overcame the enemy, letting the kingdom of darkness know that their days were numbered. And now Jesus is empowering more of his followers to go out and he sends out the 72 in his name. And what are they experiencing? Well, they're experiencing the joy of the oppressed being set free, the joy of light overcoming dark, the joy of brokenness being met with restoration, all in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, leading to a joy that only comes from knowing Jesus. So what was the disciples' reason for joy here? They are seeing evil overcome in the name of Jesus. They are participating and contributing to the movement of God, and in awe and in joy, the sheep have come back from being among the wolves and the wolves were being silenced. So what do we take from this? Where's our hope and what do we rejoice? Well, what we recognize is that because of Jesus, we are saved. In Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, the enemy has no true power over us. The enemy has no true power over us. And for this, we should rejoice. This is what the disciples were experiencing in this moment, that Jesus was breaking through in victory and ultimately would defeat our great foe of death on the cross once and for all. And so we have been rescued in a way that we could never rescue ourselves. And the enemy, the adversary, has no true power over us. 
Now, some of you are like, no, 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 I, I experienced some opposition in my life. Yes, no, he is still roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking to destroy, to lie, uh, to kill. That is who he is. He still tempts us. He still tries to draw us away from Jesus. He still condemns us and comes after us, telling us lies like, why are you even in church today? I know what you did last night. I know what you did this week. I can't believe this building's still standing with you in it, right? He tells us all sorts sorts of things all the time, trying to press us down. But in Christ, in Christ, when we say yes to Jesus, the enemy has no true authority over us. This is why uh, James, that brother of Jesus, says in James 4, 7, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Come under the rule and the authority of God. By doing so, that will resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you are rolling up against the enemy on your own, you don't stand a chance. But if God is with you, he will run the other direction because he stands no chance. This is what we rejoice in. So rejoice because our great king has come and he is over all things. So rejoice. There is joy in knowing that the enemy no longer has power over you. So instead of always shrinking back in fear, instead of listening to the enemy's lies that you're good enough, that you're not good enough, uh, that, that you, you're not a new creation, that God's work is not effective in your life even though you see it in the lives of others, instead of believing that lie, listen to the truth of what Jesus is calling you into and remember that in Christ, you are a new creation and you were created with intent. You're not accidental. Just read Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God crafted you with intent. He made you with purpose. And he created you in Christ Jesus for good works, for his glory. And he prepared those beforehand, and we should walk in them. My fear is that too many of us are believing the lies of the enemy, allowing him authority in our lives that he has no proper place for. And it's keeping us from stepping in what God has created us to be about and to do. That he has a design for you to lean in and a ministry. And I know when I use the word ministry, that sounds really formal. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. But some of you, you're ministers and you don't even realize it. And the way that you're caring for your neighbors and your friends and the way you open up your home and invite all your kids' friends to come into your house and create a safe environment for them to be and to be known and to be loved, you are ministering and God has created you for that intent. But some of us begin to believe the lies that we are good for nothing, that God wants nothing to do with us. And what does that do? It stalls us out and we shrink back and the darkness begins to overtake us when that is not what we have been rescued for. You are saved, and the enemy has no true power over you. Jesus is now over you. So in his authority, step forward, walking in the authority of the king. And like the disciples we see here, let us serve with joy. Let us step into what we were created for with joy. 
I love that the disciples are experiencing this and they've been walking with Jesus. They've been seeing him do all these things, but it's like they're still coming back amazed at like, now we're, now we're doing it too. Like it's, Jesus, what you said would happen is happening. It's, it's working. This is incredible. And there's just this joy that when we cast out these demons, people were set free. The darkness was broken. But there's more. Verse 18, and he, Jesus, said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, there's a a few ways to see this response from Jesus in this passage. See, Jesus could be talking about actually seeing Satan fall from heaven. And I I love the description that he gives. Behold, he he says, I saw uh, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. How quick is lightning? It is is fast. The demise of Satan is, is quick. And Jesus remembers when he was cast out. He could be talking about the former things. When he was cast out, that the adversary, the accuser, the serpent, the dragon, the enemy of God was cast out from heaven. He could also be talking in this moment about seeing Satan pushed back in real time by the actions of the 72 as they were coming under the authority of Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God with them. Now, there's another train of thought that someone points out that he also could be reminding these these disciples who are coming home after experiencing incredible things, being used in, in in pretty amazing ways, He could be reminding them of how quickly uh, pride can destroy us. That it's easy for us in certain times to begin to take credit uh, for the work of God. Like, oh, isn't God so fortunate that I'm partnering with him? He is really, I mean, aren't you glad you have me, God? I'm kind of the A-team. Like, there's some things. I've got some suggestions, too, on some work that we can do, right? And, And we laugh. We're like, that's ridiculous. But we can get there pretty fast, And so there's this reminder that pride truly does come before the fall. And so remember, and the the disciples, I love how they even describe this. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us, not in our name, but in your name. They understand where the authority is coming. And so when we look at this passage, I believe what Jesus is pointing them to when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, is that he's pointing them to the real-time implications of the ministry of the 72, that Satan is being pushed back, and Jesus is loving it. I sent you out with my authority and I am seeing the enemy pushed back. The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. And so we see in this passage, Jesus, who has authority, gives the disciples authority. And now he tells them they have authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing can hurt them. And so we read this and we're like, how literal do we get here? Does this mean that we should start handling snakes and and that's going to be a true testament to our faith in Jesus? And so I thought, let's try it. So go ahead and bring out the snakes and we're going to see what we can do and see how weird it can get up in here. No, no, I I have to be honest. Uh, If if handling snakes is like a test of faith, I would fail. Uh, I, I thought I was good with that until college. A friend of mine had a little bow constrictor, and, he, and I'm holding it, and it's wrapping around my arm, and suddenly I just stopped moving, and everyone's like, hey, you okay? I'm like, no, no, I'm not okay. I don't like this at all. Can someone please come take this snake? And then the color came back to my face once it was put back in its cage. Uh, but how are we to take this? Because if, if we look 
if we look at scripture, there's a moment when the apostle Paul is bit by a viper, shakes it off, right? Just like bit by a viper, shakes it off, and everyone's just like waiting for him to die, and he never dies, right? So we're like, oh, maybe, maybe it is. I can just, if there's a rattlesnake, I'm just going to go for it. I don't need any help. I can just get it. But how do, we, how do we understand, where do we begin to decipher, okay, what's, what's he speaking to here? And this is where it's always helpful to allow Scripture to speak to Scripture when we're looking for a biblical definition. And so there's a few passages, and this is just a few of them. There's more you could go into that speak to Satan, snakes, and scorpions. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, there's lots going on here. And so we're not going to go through each and every one of these this week. I would encourage you, if you're, you're curious, uh, just snap a picture of this and go look at this on your own and kind of dig into the context of how God uses this. But let me give you a little bit of an overview of what, what he's doing because back in Genesis uh, 3.14 and 15, 3.15 in particular is often referred to as the Proto-Evangelion. That means it's the first gospel proclamation that we see in all of Scripture. That all the way back in the beginning, in Genesis, we see God pointing towards a future hope and the coming Messiah. And what's he speaking to? He says, the snake shall strike the, the man's heel, but the man shall crush the head of the serpent. Now, taken out of context, that could just sound like a natural reaction. If a snake bites you, you're going to try and crush that thing's heel. But prophetically, what this is speaking to is that Satan is going to strike Jesus, but ultimately it will be Jesus who has the final victory in crushing our great enemy. The other passages, they speak to scorpions and snakes representing evil, representing evil ideas. And, and, and here Jesus is saying, in my name, under my authority, not only are you saved and the enemy has no true power over you, but, but you, you can push back the darkness. You've been freed from oppression and now you can partake and, and participate in helping to free others from oppression. Satan has no hold on you. Satan has no hold on you. Jesus has paid our debt in full. That is satisfied. The, the hold that the enemy has in our life is often the hold that we give over to him or we allow him to worm his way into our thinking and we begin to believe his lies as truth and we've got to wash our mind with the truth of the gospel over and over again, understanding who we are in Christ. And that's why I think Jesus gets to this point where he says, it's worthy of celebrating that, that Satan, is, the demons are, are subject to you. But there's something greater. There's a greater reason to celebrate. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the, the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's the reason to rejoice? Your name is written in heaven. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you say yes to the king of kings, when you understand that you cannot rescue or redeem yourself, that there is a debt of your sin that you can never pay in full, but Jesus has offered to pay that in full and offer you life in him. When we say yes to him, our name is written in heaven. Amen. Just one of you likes that. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, there's more to go. I hope by the end you're all like, yes, no, I need that. Uh, but Because why is Jesus saying this is a big deal? Because it is a big deal. This is a huge deal. In ancient times, 
When you were born, uh, you would be written into a log of your kind of town log of the names of all the people who lived there. And your name was there until you died. And then it was just unceremoniously crossed off. You're no longer a resident of this town. Uh, and, but you, were, you had a record. What I love is that Jesus is, is saying here that your name is, is written in heaven. It's unfading. It's written in the book of life, as it's called elsewhere in Scripture, so that when you die to yourself for the sake of Christ, you will live eternally. Your name's not crossed off. You're not trying to earn your way onto that list. No, your name is written in the book of life. Now, two terms I've used there, the written in heaven, book of life. What's the book of life? How do we define this? Well, same drill. How do we define something? We should look to the Bible, to how we're going to define that and how that's used throughout Scripture. And so if you're curious around how this is used, the book of life, here's some passages that speak to that. Here's your second Bible study for the week to crack into. We're not going to go through all of those, but you can see this, this phrase comes up often. And it's this uh, biblical idea, the book of life, and you'll discover as you look through these and you read in context what's happening here, that as one author states, the book of life is an eternal ledger of heavenly citizenship. Eternal ledger of heavenly citizenship, that you are a citizen of heaven for all time. This is significant. Meaning all those who are in the book of life will rise to life after death. And what is the basis of entry into this book of life? Well, it's our right standing with God. It's our righteousness. Right? And I know the second I say that, some of you are like, well, I'm not in. Right? I know myself pretty well. Uh, this is not going to work out. I'm going to be left off yet another list that I can never attain. Because we can never earn heaven. Let's just call it for what it is. You cannot earn heaven. You can never be good enough. Every time, every time I say this, I always feel like I'm like the worst motivational speaker. You will never be good enough. You're terrible. You're awful. Give up on all your dreams. You're the worst. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. You will never be righteous enough on your own. And to me knowing this, we still fight it. And, it. and it feeds into some holdovers of a wrong view of God that we have. Because I think for some of us, even though we never want to say it out loud, we still will view God like he's Santa Claus. Like he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Like you're just trying to like make sure that in the balance of life, well, I, w- I was more good than bad, so you'll, you'll let me in, right? Like you see, I'm, tr- I'm trying here. I'm trying to do something. And then the other thing that we'll do is like, well, maybe I'm not measuring up real great. Like maybe it's a little more even, but like you see this person next to me. Like I don't want to say names, but you see them. Like they're terrible. I'm better than them. Like will you let me in like the, over them kind of a thing? And so we strive to be good, not as a way of glorifying God, not as a way of enjoying the fact that we're secure in him, but because we're still trying to earn our salvation, a salvation that we can never earn. And try as we might, we will always fail because all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room has missed the mark. We've missed the standard of God. And the the wages of our sin, the wages of missing the mark, the wages of falling short, it's very clear. It's death. It's death. 
But hopefully, you've been coming here long enough that you know there's a bit of good news on the way, right? God in his great glory sent his son. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made Jesus to be sin. The sinless one took on our sin so that in him we might become righteous. So when God looks at you, when you say yes to Jesus, when God looks at you now, he sees you through the lens of Jesus' righteousness and your name is written in the book of life and you will spend all of eternity with God. And we hear that truth and we say yes to that truth and still we wonder, could it be true? Can can this be something that I can hang on to? Because what this means is that because of Jesus, we are saved. The enemy has no true power over us. And we are secure. Our names are written in the book of life. When you say yes to Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are his and he is yours. You stand secure. But what does this mean? It means that you can stand secure with joy. With joy. It's not up to you. All that weight that you feel on your shoulders of I just, I just have to fix this. I just have to do this. He's done it. He's fixed it. And he's offering you life. You have to say yes and to to submit yourself to him and say, okay, I'm going to come under your authority. I'm not going to give in to the lies of the enemy over here. I'm going to live in the truth of who you are. But standing secure with joy is really hard. This week, I was having one of those moments where I was feeling behind on so so many things, big things, uh, little things. And I was allowing my, my doing or my lack of doing to affect my being. And I began to feel as though I just was failing and not measuring up, measuring up to what I don't know. Just this like illusion I have in my head of, of who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to have it all together that still comes and haunts me at times. And the enemy wants to use that to spin about in my head and see, see, you're not doing anything. What good are you? But the problem when you read a passage and you reread a passage is that passage often begins to read you. And so as I was feeling this in a moment as I sat in Target waiting for an employee to come and help me get something and I had just 30 seconds probably to myself. It was like as I was sitting there just thinking through all of these things, it was like the Lord just was like, hey, why don't you preach to yourself? I was like, well, this... This is going to be weird for whoever's in this aisle. No. <laughs> but I just started to rehearse. Okay, who, who am I? I'm a child of the king. I'm saved. Not by my own doing, by his. I don't have to earn this. He's earned it all for me. I'm rescued. I'm, I'm redeemed. I have life. I have joy. I am loved, not because of the sum of my accomplishments, because I am, I am loved just as I am. And as I sat there, the joy began to return. And I can tell you, in all honesty, my to-do list did not get any smaller. 
So no illusions there, but the, the anxiousness that I was feeling of just this flailing, suddenly that started to quiet a little bit. And the waters of my soul got a little bit more still as I, I rightly ordered myself in, in light of who I am because of what Jesus has done. See, the lies of the enemy want to confront us all the time. And where I found rest was knowing that I was saved and secure, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, not based on my merits or my actions, but based on the finished work of Jesus. And so I could stand securely with joy, with rest, with peace, with wholeness. And this week, maybe just right now, today, I would encourage you to stop and to remember and to rest in the security of knowing God and being known by him. If you have said yes to Jesus, just remind yourself that you are saved and that the enemy has no true power over you. Remind yourself that you are secure and that your name is not written in the book of life with pencil, but by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of Jesus for all time. And find rest and rejoice. See, too often we hear the gospel and we think we outgrow it. We never outgrow our need to hear the gospel in our lives. And sometimes we gotta preach to ourselves. We gotta remind ourselves of just who God is. And some of you, you might be sitting here and being like, that's, that's great for you guys who are following God. That's great for those who know Jesus, but I've never experienced that. I've never, I've never pursued God. That's not like how I operate. And I hear you, but I also know God is pursuing you. And so if you're tired of pretending that you're something you're not, if you're tired of pretending that you have it all together, if you're tired of chasing, uh, I just need to be good enough, if you're tired of trying to forget your past mistakes, then come to Jesus and live. Rest in the security of him. Repent of your old ways. Turn towards him, trusting in his forgiveness and his freedom for you today. And you can rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And so just to, to slow us down, and I know sometimes when we, we come and we gather, we have these patterns that we fall into. I did this in first service, and I just took a moment to pray, and the worship team panicked because they thought, like, oh, we're ending service already? And then I realized if they thought that, some of you may think I'm ending right now, and you're like, oh, we're getting out early. This is great. I'm still going after this, okay? This is just my, my warning to you. But I do just want to stop, and I want to rest, and I want to rejoice. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray words over all of us. But in this moment, maybe you just need to rejoice that you are saved and you are secure, that your name is written in the book of life, that Jesus has redeemed you and brought you from death to life. And so as I pray, feel free to, to pray along or just to have a moment with God. And so, Father, we just come before you, and we thank you. We thank you that it is not up to us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself. You've made yourself known. That you took on flesh. You humbled yourself into human form. And more than that, you, 
You took on the humility of death, that in your death we might live. And so, Lord, would we trust that? Would we stand secure in that? Would we rejoice that we are yours? God, would you give rest to our weary souls? Would you help us stop trying to earn it all the time? Would you remind us that we have been saved and that the enemy has no power over us? And so would you quiet his voice in our minds? Would you expose his voice when he's speaking loudly and begins to spin? Would you help us to proclaim the truth of who you are in our lives, the truth that we are yours? And Lord, for any in this room who have yet to say yes to you, would they know that they are not too far gone, that this very moment, all they need to do is confess that you are Lord. Say, Jesus, I turn my life to you. I see you as my king. I repent. I change directions from the way in which I was living and I turn towards you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Restore me that I may enter into life with you in the fullness of joy. God, we thank you for your invitation. We thank you for your work and what you've done. We thank you that we are saved and secure in you. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Here we now see the joy of Jesus. And when Jesus is rejoicing in something and he's finding joy in something, we should, we should pay attention to like what's, what's happening here. And what I love is that it's, he's rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is, is moving him to rejoice. And it's so important for us as we're making our way through the Gospel of Luke to remember that Luke, this author, is constantly highlighting the work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. And Jesus is constantly setting the pattern for the work of the Spirit in the life of all believers. What he's experiencing, we can all experience in life in the Spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit is indwelling you. And we want to seek to be empowered and equipped and enabled by the Spirit, overflowing with the Spirit, baptized, immersed in the Spirit. And so here we see the joy of Jesus. And what is it that brings Jesus joy? He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus is rejoicing here that the truth of the kingdom is being revealed to little children, to the average, to the ordinary, to the often overlooked and when he speaks to uh, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, the wise and the understanding that Jesus is speaking to is, is the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, those who knew the word inside and out. They were studying the scriptures. And even with all of that head knowledge, they were still unable to see that the Messiah that they so longed for was standing in front of them in the flesh in Jesus. And they were missing it. But God in his kindness, 
He didn't make following him an intellectual test where it was only the best and the brightest. But even the little children could have faith and believe in the king who had come. And so this, to me, is a kindness. He reveals himself to the simple, the poor, the less than, the often overlooked, and those left off the list. Quite honestly, he reveals himself to us, each of us in this room. Just to continue my theme of, you know, motivational speaking, you're not special. But God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And he has a purpose and plan for you. He has intent for you. He wants to use you uniquely. And that is what makes you special. In verse 22, Luke records a moment that feels as though it was pulled from the gospel accounts of of John, the way he's writing. John often writes in this way, and so now it seems like these two minds are coming together. But verse 22, it says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. This is Jesus speaking. Everything's been given to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so simply put, Jesus is saying here is to know the Father is to know the Son. To know the Son is to know the Father. And the Father is revealing himself through the Son. This is the the beauty of the incarnation that we are going to be celebrating in just a few weeks' time as we look towards Christmas. That God took on flesh and dwelt among us humbled himself into a human form. It should blow our mind, but so that we could see clearly, so that we could understand just how deep and rich his love for us is, he was willing to sacrifice all. And so the Father is revealing himself through the Son, and the Son is revealing himself to the humble. He's revealing himself to the humble. And when we read in Hebrews 1, It says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus reveals the heart of God in action. And here Jesus is is reminding us and he's rejoicing in his work and in his revelation. And, And God is using Jesus to fulfill the scriptures that were proclaimed long ago, that the the, the forefathers and, and the prophets beforehand had longed to see are now being revealed in Jesus. And in the same way, we can rejoice that in Jesus it is revealed that the heart of God is for those who believe and walk in him. That he is with us and he is for us. Too many of us live our faith constantly looking over our shoulder just waiting for God to, to just take us out. Instead he's saying, I, I've taken care of your debt. You don't, no one's coming to collect, it's done. You keep your eyes on me and you live fully and freely in me. 
And so Jesus is talking with the disciples as they return, and and we kind of see from this passage that it looks like he was talking with a a greater crowd, but then here in verse 23, it says, then turning to the disciples, he maybe a smaller group of them, turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Happy are the eyes that see what you see. Rejoice that your eyes see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What so many had longed to see was now being made plain before the disciples. See, I think so often when we read through uh, the pages of Scripture, when we go back to the early accounts of God interacting uh, with, with humans and, and, and mighty and miraculous ways, there can be this longing in us that I just, I just wish I could go back. I just want to go back and I want to see what it was like when Jesus parted the Red Seas and all the Israelites walked through. Like I just, if I saw that moment, then I would truly believe that you are who you say you are. It would be amazing. Or or maybe we're like, I would would have liked to have seen, like they just walked around the walls of Jericho and then they they blew their horns and they came tumbling down. Like I would have loved to experience that or maybe feel the heat of the flames of when Elijah called down fire when he was battling with the prophets of Baal. But what the prophets longed for, what Elijah longed for, what Moses longed for, what Joshua longed for, was to see the Messiah, to see Jesus. They longed to see what we read page after page in the gospel that we are walking through. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see his kingdom come, his will be done. They wanted to see heaven come down to earth. They longed for the privilege that we have that we often look past. See, we get to bear witness to the finished work and word of Jesus. We get to know Jesus on the other side of the cross and what he's accomplished. Even here, the disciples, when they were sent out, the 72, and Jesus keeps talking about, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and they're like, I don't get this, I don't get this. They didn't even see fully what we now see fully, that Jesus was going to die. He was going to give of himself entirely, but he would not stay in that tomb, but he would rise again. And in the same way that he rises again, we will rise with him, spending all of eternity with him because all who believe in the name of Jesus, their names are written in heaven in the book of life. This is what we get to rejoice in because of Jesus, we are saved. The enemy has no true power over us. Because of Jesus, we are secure. Our names are written in the book of life, and because of Jesus, we are sure. God is over all, and he's always working. We stand sure that he's true to his promises. We can trust him, that he's over everything, and he's always working. This idea that he's always working is so good for us, because that means even when you're sleeping, he's still active. He's still protecting you. He's still over you. Even when all of life seems to just be a tangled mess and you're like, what is happening? He's not absent. He's moving in ways that you can't even perceive. He's working all things together. And so we can trust that we're saved, that we're secure, that we are sure in Jesus. And so if you came in here this morning feeling weighed down, feeling burdened, not even sure why you came. 
Maybe you're hoping we get out of here quick because you've got things to do. Maybe you're just looking for a reason to rejoice. Well, let me give you one. Rejoice for the eternal hope has been revealed in Jesus. And in Jesus, you are saved, you are secure, and you are sure in the cosmic game of dodgeball. You have not been passed over. You have not been the last choice. You are called on Jesus' team. And come what may, you will not be removed. You are saved, secure, and sure. And not only that, you're sent by him. You're sent by him to proclaim this truth to all around you. You're sent by him to serve, to serve him through him, by him, and for him, and in his name. And to me, this is reason to rejoice. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your kindness. Lord, I I pray that the truth of your good news would take root in us that it would revive us, it would refresh us, it would restore us, that it would awaken us, that in the confidence we have in you, we would step forward in life, not shrinking back. God, that we wouldn't uh, live in fear, but we would live in security of knowing you and being known by you. We can't surprise you. You know our past. You know who we are. You know the decisions we've made. And yet still you offer life. And so would we rejoice in this, that we are rescued and redeemed, that the enemy has no true power over us, that we are secure with our names written in the book of life, and we stand on the sure foundation of Jesus, trusting that God is over all, and always working. Would you move in our lives? Would you help us to see? Would you help us to hear? And in humility, will we lay our lives before you, rejoicing, for you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close this morning, we step into Thanksgiving week. And if you're searching for a reason to be thankful, then remember you have a reason to rejoice. That because of Jesus, you are saved. You are secure. You are sure. Rest in this truth, this day, this week, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Apostle Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we leave from here, if you need prayer, our prayer team will be around. We'd love to pray alongside you. But let us give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And may his grace wash over you. And may his peace be with you. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving. And we'll see you next weekend.